banquet, please? Next Lord's Day, we trust that Pastor Dave's going to be back taking us through, again, through the book of Acts, and we've gotten past the conversion of the Apostle Paul and into the beginning of those missions, journeys, to watch Paul, the great Apostle Paul, in action. I wonder if we can say, is there anyone else like the Apostle Paul, man so totally all in, full throttle, sold out, to live, to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is what? To die is gain. And how God used this man who never lost sight, I believe that was his main motivation in his commitment to the gospel and living for Christ. Someone who never lost sight of the cross. He says in 2 Corinthians, it's like the, the cross of Christ like hemmed him in. And he couldn't get past the reality that Jesus Christ would die in his place and, his, and for his sin and call him to propagate that incredible good news. And when you look at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle gives us the manner in which he approached the ministry that was given to him by the resurrected Jesus Christ. He said, man, when, I, when I'm in this, I'm like a guy running a race, and there's only one that's going to win the prize and run the race to do so. So I give it everything that I've got because I see the glory of that great reward before me. And he said, when I'm like a person that would be boxing. I'm not wasting, wasting swings or shadow boxing, but I'm, I'm aiming because I'm all in concerning what I'm after and the, 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 the means to which I want to hear faithful, well done. And Paul, and at the end of the chapter, he conveys to us the reality to do so means that he has to have control of himself and not that he would be controlled by himself. And so he says, I do whatever it takes. I do whatever it takes to bring myself under control to run as well as I can this, this race, this ministry that God has called me for the purpose of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden in chapter 10, he transitions. I want you to look at the beginning of chapter 10 with me. He says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, notice how often all, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, he makes this transition at the beginning of this chapter, really in verse 1 at the beginning. You read it. He said, I I want you to be aware of something. Aware of something. And then he begins to move into this thing about the incredible, tremendous privilege that was given to a covenant people called Israel. And all this privilege that came to him in all these various ways being identified with the great Moses who led them out of Egypt and took them through the Red Sea. And the way in which, as his people, God provided and he guided them and he directed them. Manna from heaven and water from the rock. 
All these tremendous privileges. And then we get to verse 5, and notice the beginning with me, if you would. He says, nevertheless, with most of them, most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Paul brings this to bear upon the Corinthians because many of the Corinthians were not running well. Many of them were living and loving themselves more, they were, more than they were committed to following and loving Christ. Many of them were just focused on their liberties in Christ more than they were focused upon giving them themselves to serve Christ. And Paul is greatly concerned. And so he transitions into what I would call this a sobering reminding, reminder for them. He says, look look at all their tremendous privileges, yet with most of them, and you know the story. Most of them died in the wilderness. Tremendous, tremendous privilege, and yet. And in verses 6 down through verse 11, he lists the terrible ways they suffered for for their evil craving, he says. For their immorality. Think about what it was like there at Sinai when when Moses went up on the mountain to gain the law and what was going down, what was taking place down below. The way they craved evil things, idolatry, loving things more than they were committed to loving God and Him and worshiping Him alone. It says down in verse 9 they put God to the test. Tell me if that sounds dangerous. They put God to the test. And he goes on to say one of the ways that they did that, down in verse 10, they grumbled as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And we just stop for a moment right there and we say, well, thank God we ain't like that. Amen? (laughs) There aren't things that we crave more than we desire to live for God. Our hearts aren't a factory of idols, are they? We, 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 don't, uh, we, we don't complain. Praise God, we don't complain. Amen? And so he's, he's saying, wait a minute. Look, wake up here. You've got to be in this for real. You, you can't toy around on this. And then he just moves from this, this sobering reminder in these verses, this that he says, notice verse Six with me. Now these things happened as an example for us, Corinthian church, all the way to Plainfield Bible Church. And then when God repeats himself, it's not because he stutters. And we look down in verse 11, and he says what again? Now these things happened to them as an example. Twice. So, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. And then he moves from this sobering reminder to this severe warning in verse 12. There's that therefore. There it is. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Severe warning against, against presumption against God. Uh, against the idea of taking 
God for granted. Against the danger of self-confidence. Severe warning. We say it this way, don't we? First pride and then the fall. Mindset of thinking that this couldn't happen to you. Or perhaps if I can flip that over for a moment, perhaps some of the Corinthians were thinking, well, the way they blew it, I guess we have to blow it too. And maybe a license for their own lack of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what a warning. You think you stand, take heed lest you fall. So let Israel's sad example drive you to faithfulness and living for the Lord and not for yourself. Let it cause you to walk carefully and remain in the Word of God, committed to personal growth. And then in verse 13, the Bible does what the Bible always does when we look at such a severe warning like that, or we look at the, the, the reality of a, of a good example of a bad example like Israel often was. That's what my fifth grade teacher called me, a good example of a bad example. And when we read on in our Bible, the Bible always gives us hope. It never, it never presents us with this type of thing and then says, well, it's hopeless. You're destined for the same, same reality. To the contrary, we move, we move, move on to verse 13 and we, have, we come to a, a, a verse that is just filled with hope and encouragement for us. He gives us what the Word of God always does if we just keep reading. Great encouragement, great hope. You may be experiencing some of the same temptations he's saying to these Corinthians, but you never have to live that way. This doesn't have to happen to you. That is the point of verse 13. If you leave here today and you're wondering, what was that preacher trying to get across? I'm telling you in verse 13, he's saying, you don't have to live that way. There is hope always for the believer in the Jesus in the person of Christ and all that he has given to us in our riches in Christ. So we come to verse 13. Verse 13, a verse that is familiar with I think I could say to most of us probably some of you have memorized 1 Corinthians 10:13. You've heard it probably quoted and applied various times. And I want to just jump in here with Paul for just a moment and give you a word of caution, if I may. And the caution is this. Just because a verse is familiar or even quoted oftentimes doesn't guarantee that you properly understand it or rightly apply it. So what I want to do is I want to drill down and dig deeper in verse 13 so we have a handle on that in a way that leaves you with great encouragement of what is offered to you in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. This verse 13 is all good news. And how about you? I like good news. How about you? The gospel is good news. And verse 13 is good news for us. So no, no temptation. Look at the beginning of this verse. I'm just titling this particular verse and the way of bringing it to you this morning. And by the way, there are some blanks. Did you notice in the bulletin for the outline? 
You lose your salvation. You don't fill in those blanks in this church, okay? Just to help you follow along. But I've entitled it, Hope and Encouragement Offered offered to Us for Victory. But notice how he starts, no temptation. That's not necessarily good news. No temptation has overtaken you and so forth. It's important to start with that key little word right there, temptation. Sometimes you may have heard this read or applied, no trial has taken you. No, No test has overtaken you. And that's often so because it it is dictated by the context, and that's typical with words, and pastor teaches that all the time, that the meaning of a word is understood in the context of how it is used. But the word in itself is neutral. It's just to prove something. It's to test something. That's why you could translate that, paraphrase it, no test. It's neutral in itself, but the word tends to go one way or another based upon the context and what's going on in somebody's life. For instance, let me show you some ways, ways that it's used. Trial. Here's the same word as we find in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Same word. Can we say that a temptation can be a trial? Or look how it's used in 1 Peter Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire or ordeal among you, which comes among, um, uh, upon you for your testing. Same word, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But in this context, it seems best to understand it in light of what he said in verses 6 and 12 as to Israel that he's talking about here an enticement or a solicitation away from the will of God and toward evil. An attraction to live outside of the revealed will of God. So in every, we can say it this way, I think Paul's using always here in the sense, in every enticement, there is, or temptation to sin, there, there is a test, there is a choice, there is a trial. Like when we say that old saying, there's two choices on the shelf, remember? Say it with me, pleasing God or pleasing self. And there it is in the midst of, that's how we would understand, a temptation. And these things are normal, natural to the Christian life. I wish I could say this morning that if you are in Jesus Christ, when you are converted to Christ, you lost the capacity for sin. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that didn't happen. You remain in this life, though, even if you are in Christ, I pray that you are, that you have this tremendous remaining capacity to surrender to temptation and follow the way of Israel. So the, the, the test is in the temptation is about who is going, who you're going to love more. Or what you're going to love more. You're going to resist with God's help and, and choose what is pleasing to God in that temptation, that enticement away from the will of God. Or you're going to not resist and give in to the enticement and that leads to sin. And, and resisting 
can often be hard, but sin is often very costly. So which way? Well, there's two choices. That's the idea here. In his book, Addictions, uh, Ed Welch, quote, Addictions, a banquet in the grave. I would recommend, highly recommend that, that particular book. He, he, he describes the way a Christian conveyed the fact of his own experience in just living with the reality of temptations. And this guy's explaining it, and he said, you know what I feel like oftentimes? He said, I feel like a guy who has both arms that are attached and pulling to two different teams of horses. Got my horse analogy in there, didn't I? I mean, but here we go. I just feel like just pulling two different ways. Over here, you know, I just want to give in here, and over I know I ought to. Kind of sounds like Romans 7, does it not? The guy asked him, well, which way wins? And he said back, whichever team I say giddy up to. And it's kind of that way, isn't it? Because it's going to be up to you with reference to how you're going to respond. So here is where your hope and encouragement begins in this passage, following the truth of understanding what's going on there. This no temptation, he says, has overtaken you, and it's an idea of active going on could be taking place even right now. Stuff going on in your life, the stuff that you struggle with, the things that pull you away from, and you know God's will is not there. Look at the text. Has overtaken you, but such is common to man. Here's number one in that outline. Here's number one. Paul begins by saying, whatever that temptation may be, whatever it is, whatever I face is common to others. Right? Common to others. You're not the lone ranger in this. You are not a special case. I know your mom told you that you're just that unique, special little snowflake, right? But there's all kinds of other snowflakes. And Paul's saying, this is common. This, this is reality. Others, others know it too. You, you're, you're not in this on your own. Your, your temptation may be unique to you, but it isn't unique to mankind. That's the point. Listen, our circumstances differ but on, on, on the basic, on, on basic temptations, they're all the same in terms of all general categories. We are all in the boat together. Temptation is norm to human experience. And sometimes when you maybe even come to church and you say, I, I'm convinced nobody's struggling like I am, there's a whole lot of people who want to argue with you and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I think it's me. Ask you how you're doing, you may just be honest and say it was a hard, hard week. Hard week. But the hope that he gives us in this is nothing is unique to you. And then we have a Savior who knows by human experience, and that's part of Paul's victory in the Christian life and running well, is he never lost sight of Christ. And Hebrews 2.18 says, For he, since he himself was, here's our same word, he was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. 
So we keep our affections and our eyes upon Jesus Christ. He knows how you feel. He knows the force of that temptation. And yet he was without sin. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Notice again, as all things as we are. Nobody knows how I feel. What? The Savior knows. And he endured a temptation to the extent of blood coming down his face. And yet he said, say it with me, not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah. Call upon him. Keep our focus upon him. Draw near to to him. We're getting down to the reality and a temptation. What do I love more? Someone told me one time, just being transparent about an ongoing, ongoing, ongoing struggle in his life. He said, praise God, it's not, it is not there. The t- giving into the temptation isn't there anymore. I asked him, what, what was the deal? What, get me right down to the bottom line in this thing, how you, you had victory over that particular temptation. He said, I just got down to the bottom line that I chose to love Jesus Christ more than that sin. What do we like more? What do we love more? So draw near to him. So be encouraged. You're not in this thing alone. Thank God for the church. Others have come through and they've passed the test and you can too. Say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yep, others have blown it. But others have come through. I have a uh, pastor friend, more than one, but one in particular that whenever we're able to get together, sometimes once a year, sometimes not that, but he's such a those, one of those great friends, you know what it's like, we just pick up where we left off. But his thing is, we, when we get together, we always have to make a memory. And I don't like some of his memories. <laughs> some of you know I've shared our time in... Uh, in, in Moab, Utah, and my uh, thing about uh, doing uh, extreme four-wheeling. Never again. <laughs> Never again. But okay, love you, brother. We'll do it. He paid the way. Thank you for the memory. He said, yeah, wasn't that fun? He said, tomorrow, tomorrow we're going, um, we're, we're, we're going uh, on the, um, what do you call that? The zip line. We're going on the zip line. No, we're not. No, you're going on the zip line. I'm not going on the zip line. He said, no, we're going on the zip line. I've already paid for it. We're going. I don't like heights. In Moab, longest one in the United States, six different sections. Go up there in the four-wheel and then climb up in in the canyon area. There it is. I'm not going. He said, I was a sissy. I said, I'm going. I did. So we get to the place, you know, where they give you the spiel and, and show you how to get the harness on and, and uh, get the helmet on. And There's about, uh, I think about eight or nine of us. This couple over here, neat couple, got to meet them and, and uh, they didn't seem nervous at all. Yeah, I find out they're military people, they jump out of airplanes. 
there's a couple of crazy young kids over here, you know, my maniac friend and I. One other guy with his daughter, and I could tell he was about like me, wondering what he's doing. So they give you the whole spiel. They have you sign the thing, where to send your body. You know, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. And, and we get up there. We get up there and they say, uh, now just, just, just enjoy this. Just enjoy this. And, and one of the people, there's two guides. The one goes first. And, you know, she's out there, and they, he says, see, you can do this. You can just like this, or you can go upside down. You can throw your feet out. You can just like you're flying, you know? <laughs> what, what about holding with both hands, your eyes closed, and crying? Because that's how I went. How I went. And so I did it. First one, I did it. They did it. I could do it too. Second one third one. Thank God we're almost through this. We get to the fourth one. I think it is fourth or fifth. And they said, we're doing something different this time. Yeah. This time, here's what you got to do. This time, when you get to the edge of the cliff, we'll hook you up and you have to turn around and you have to go off of it backwards and you have to close your eyes and put your arms out like this. The guy in front of me, my size, and a little younger, but I could tell he wasn't really into this, he looked at me and he said, I don't think I can do that. And I said, you're going in front of me. I did. No servant's heart in that one. Not at all. And he went in front of me and I said, what am I going to do? I can't go home. I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to do it. And I tried and I died and I'm back here today. No, I did it. But listen to me, friends. Dear people, Paul is not talking about human experience here. He's not talking about zip lines. He's not talking about the fact, well, you can do it. You know, your sister ate the broccoli. You can eat the broccoli. We're not, we're not talking about that. He's talking about things that wage war against your soul. He's talking about warfare that's going on inside of you. When you say you love Christ and you know Christ, but man, that thing is pulling away. And it's just, it's warfare. He says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, they're not carnal. They're spiritual warfares. So I'm saying to you this morning, zipline's one thing, but when we're talking about the, the, the real issues of temptation in our life to live outside of the will of God. Now, now we're, we're talking about spiritual battles. And did we, uh, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? You cannot resist temptation outside of the will of God, and giving into it in your own strength. Perhaps you're taking some notes this morning. You might want to jot it down this way. Spiritual battles, and that's what temptations are, outside of the will of God, spiritual battles require spiritual strength, Ephesians 6, provided in spiritual resources. Spiritual battles require spiritual strength provided in spiritual resources. And the first and foremost resource 
in resisting and choosing God is right next in the text. No temptation has overtaken you, such as common to man. And God, God is faithful. It's God. God. He's the resource being real in your life. Your heavenly Father, who loves you and invites you to call upon him for help. And number two in your notes this morning, right from the text, moving right to God, Whatever I face is common to others. But what I face, God will help me. God will help me. That's number two. Don't say God will help, Pastor. Put your name here. Help me in there. Right? But God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He's worthy always, always of our trust because he is faithful. So trust him to help you to resist And where that all starts, it all starts with asking God for help. And when you're asking God for help, you know what you're doing? You're humbling yourself and you're saying, I affirm the fact, the Lord, I affirm the fact that I am weak, but you are strong. And when you do that, you're humbling yourself and you're acknowledging you can't live this Christian life in terms of saying no to sin apart from his help. And so you're saying, well, Lord, help me. And you know, when you do that, when you do that, look what the Bible says. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace. I need your grace. I need your strength. He gives grace to the humble Listen carefully. It is grace that provides resolve to resist. But you must believe that he'll help you. You must believe that he will help you. But there is grace provided. God is faithful. He goes on to tell us how. And the grace that he gives to us When we believe that he will help us, and over and over again in the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? Over and over again in the Bible, he says he'll help you. For you have been my help. Look at that. David, in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 115, 11. I love it when you read with me. You who fear the trust in the Lord, he is and shield. We could read it this way, Lord, you're my help and you're my shield. That's how we preach truth to our own hearts. Look at Isaiah 41, 10 and 13. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. Surely I'll help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, Look at the end of verse. I'll help you. I'll help you. And God's not, God's trustworthy. He's faithful. If he says he'll help me, then he'll finish with. If he says he'll help me, then he will, then he'll help me. Then he'll help me. Yeah. He, will, he is faithful and he will help me by giving to me Romans chapter 6, and we don't have time to go there. 
But in Romans 6, we're reminded of the fact that we have a new power and a new master, and that's Jesus Christ, and that sin doesn't own us anymore. And we can look at that temptation toward that sin, and we can say, I I choose not. That thing doesn't own me. I am dead to that. I reckon myself alive in Christ. And the Bible tells us we're to do, do that continually. Romans 6. Or the Bible gives us Luke chapter 4, and it gives us Matthew chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4, we have the example of the temptation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself shows us in his own temptation, given to us in expanded detail in those sections, Luke 4, Matthew 4. He shows us how to use the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, to respond to temptation and send the enemy on its way. So we have grace. We have help. We are not locked into, we don't have to live like Israel lived when they chose to live outside of the will of God. That should be good news and you should say amen. Two specific ways that he'll help you. Well, back to the text. But such is common to man, and God is faithful. God will help you, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Here's the first one under number two. He will never set you up for a fall. You may set yourself up for a fall, but God will never do that. He's never out to sink your ship. Can you say amen? He's never, he's never going to I'm going to test you in such a way that you are going to blow it, and I'm going to sit up in heaven and laugh. You know, one time we get together with my brother and sister and we always talk about how we treated each other. One time, uh, I hope my sister listens to this. One time playing some game and blindfold you and lead you around, you know, and I don't remember the rest of it. All I do is remember my, my, my sister and another person blindfolding me and they're walking me along and they walk me right into a tree. Would your sister do that? Some of you want to say amen right now, huh? God's never like that. He's not setting you up. Say, why, why am I all... He's not setting you up. That's not of the Lord. No. In fact, listen to this from James. Oh, does he want you to listen? Let no one say when he is tempted that is tempted and enticed and given in, that I'm being tempted by God, that God set me up. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed Say the last words, by, no, say it this way. Put the word my in there. By, oh, you were very weak on that, weren't you? Yeah. It's you. It's you. It's not God setting you up. Never. Let me tell you what this means for you as a Christian. You will never face a temptation that is stronger than the spiritual resources God provides for you. Grace and his resources, and his help provide strength to resist. One writer says it this way, in the process of remaining and resisting, there is grace-fueled power. Chrysostom said, all temptations are unbearable without the faithfulness of God. Adams, J. Adams said, everything about resisting your temptation is based upon the never-changing, solid rock of God's faithfulness. Never setting you up for a fall. 
He ain't going to lead you into that tree. I hope you're listening, Gloria, right now. <laughs> so then, wait a minute, why do I blow it all the time? Why do you blow it all the time? Why do you say those things? Why does that stuff come out of your mouth? Why do you give in to that returning evil for evil? Why do you do that? Why do you give yourself, what do you say, oh, over and over, men, young men, young men, all men, menless, why do you give yourself to, over to that impurity? Why do you do that? Why, why that sinful anger that hurts others? Well, I'll ask you a question regarding that, just one overall main question. Here's the question. You in Christ, you say, yeah, I, Pastor, I've trusted Christ. I'm saved, and I, I, I argue the fact that I am. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you growing? Are you in the Word faithfully? Well, then no wonder you're blowing it habitually because you're just doing it on your own, and God resists the proud. But the humble man says, man, I've got to grow. I've got to feed on the Word. Job said he needed it more than his necessary food. How much do you need it? So are you growing? But I know this, the Bible's telling us right here, it's not because you have to give in, it's not because God won't help you, it's not because he ever tempts you and sets you up. But I know why you give in. I know why. The devil makes you do it. Or, or no, 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 no. You, 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 you have this unique addiction, unique to you. I have that. Whenever my wife makes me angry, I have an addiction. I can't help myself. I yell at her. Right? That's what we hear today. Somebody else. In fact, I wouldn't sin ever if I wasn't married. If I was a single guy. Yeah, some of you are thinking that right now. Just say, I'd say a lot of heads just nodded right there. Yeah, yeah, right, right? Uh, uh. Single people are saying I'd sin less if I was married. Married people are saying I'd sin less if I was single. Right? Hey, hey uh, Adam, Adam, uh, did, you, did you eat that fruit? Who told you you were naked? The woman. Everybody say, the woman. Don't forget the rest of it. Who you gave me. It's you, God. It's you. That's the fall in response. Right there. Eve, what's, what's, you know, what's going on there, Eve? <laughs> the devil. It's him. We blame shift. We blame shift. We blame shift. But the bottom line is, the bottom line, everybody say, what's the bottom line? You sin as a Christian because you choose to sin, and not because you have to. There's a second way God will help you right from the text. I want to read it. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Here's the second way. Let you fill it in first. God will never, he, he, he will never, he, he will aid you. Here's the second way. He will aid you to endure the temptation in order to pass the test. 
He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape. Notice there's a definite article twice. The temptation and the way of escape. And oftentimes we finish there because we just like the fact that there's a way out. God will aid you to endure the temptation to pass the test. Now, oftentimes we get there, but we don't finish the rest of the verse. Let me finish the rest of the verse, purpose clause, so that you will be able to, whoa, endure it. Whoa. So what, what, what is it not saying here? It's not saying that as soon as you are tempted, there's a trap door and there's a way out. The text is not saying that God puts you in a test just to pull you out of the test. God doesn't work that way. He has a purpose in the test. He has a purpose in the test. It's not saying that as soon as you're tempted, God will give you a way out. Lord, and that's what I want, because Lord, I want the heat off. Man, I want to be a great testimony, but I don't want any problems in life. And I don't want any big temptations. So, so as soon as you're challenged to live outside of the will of God, to give in to the flesh, oh, boom, there's a way out, and the temptation is gone. It's not saying that. What is it saying? It's saying this, by the way, there's a particular way. The temptation, definite article, the way, the way of escape. The way of escape is in the rest of the verse. Let me say it another way. The way of escape in that temptation is presented in that last phrase, and it's always the same way. It is, no, it is not a matter of God getting you out of the temptation, but God seeing you through it. And him seeing you through it then, you had that opportunity to pass the test and say, God is real in my life. And I don't have to live like the old man, like I used to live. The escape is the provision, the help from God and his resources to pass, to endure it. Yeah, it will come to an end. It'll come to an end. But will you be faithful and resist with his help in the meantime? I want to give you three quotes. Three quotes. A.T. Robertson, the greatest from this country, one of the greatest scholars, Greek scholars. He says this, The way out is always right there along with the temptation. God permits the temptation and provides the help for you to pass the test. Expositor's Bible commentary, I believe the guy's name is Mayer. He says, God will help you. He will provide a way out, not to avoid the temptation, but to meet it successfully and to stand firm under it. <sighs> One more, some guy I've just kind of heard of. I, I think he's just starting to get into the Bible. John MacArthur, okay? He says this, we escape the temptation not by getting out of it, but by passing through it. He sees it, sees us through by making us able to endure it. And then in passing the test, we can say that's so because I am so strong. No, but because God is so real. He is so real. I need him every hour. 
But man, when I'm, when I'm resting in his resources, when I'm trusting and I believe that, I do believe that he will help me, and I bring the word to bear upon what's going on, as Jesus has shown me, and I don't lose sight of Christ. He passed the test to his glory. To his glory. So how do I endure it? <laughs> Through it. By faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. By faith, with the strength of the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with never losing sight of the Savior. And by passing the test and by surrendering, not surrendering to the temptation, you've pleased God and had a great opportunity to do that which you say that you live for and which we pray all the time. God, to you get all of the, to you get all of the, all of the glory. And he's glorified when you choose him over that temptation. What a great promise of victory over temptation in this passage. Isn't it a wonderful passage? Amen? What a wonderful joy it is to resist with his help and choose God, choose Christ, to please him, to love him. And someone as well said, because verse 13 is true, verse verse 14 is possible. You say, "Uh uh-oh, he's not done yet. No, I'm not. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee. Now watch this. Turn back a few chapters. Look at chapter 6, verse 18. How's it begin? How's it begin? Chapter 6, verse 18. I am almost done in the next half an hour or so. Okay? Back to chapter 6, verse 18. How's it start? What's he say? Same thing. But now he's talking about immorality. Here he's saying, flee, flee idolatry. Then he says, as I speak to the wise, don't be dumb. <laughs> don't be silly. What's going on here? This is so good. What's going on here? Such wisdom, such common sense. You see, there are times you are failing to resist the temptation, not because God won't help you, but because you do not remove yourself from it. And there are times you just set yourself up for the fall. And you're not using common sense. And Joseph of old, we can't look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 without thinking of Joseph. Amen? Day after day, Potiphar's wife, Joseph, you don't think he was a young man, healthy, living with real temptations? Day after day. And on one of those occasions, she's grabbing hold of him. Here it comes again. Sin with me. And Joseph said, Mrs. Potiphar, right now we need to sit down together and we need to have a Bible study on staying pure. Right? Is that how it goes? Somebody has said it this way. One means of grace to resist is a good pair of running shoes. There's a time that you're struggling continually with the same thing because you're not smart enough to get yourself out of that situation and live in wisdom and know when to run. Thank you, Joseph, showing us. The other part of it is he said, how could I do this and sin against God? He had his theology straight, but he also knew when to get out of there and not set himself up for a fall. What great hope we have in Christ to live, change lives to the glory of God.
Would you say amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. This morning, the first hour, great hour, we heard that courage armed with truth is our calling. Amen to that. And let me say this, courage armed with truth is also our victory. Father, we thank you that you have not ever been against us. You have always been for us, and most of all, you have been for sinners in the horrible, terrible death of your son. Thank you for those final words. It's finished. And he provided a way for us not only to be forgiven and have the imputed righteousness of Christ by faith alone, but he also provided us. You have with his example and you have with your word and you have with your grace. So we give you praise for that. May those who came today and said, I wonder if I should even be there. If, if uh, that preacher or those people even knew, I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter, God knows it all, and he has loved you in Christ. He loves sinners. Turn to him. Turn to him. And then having done so, walk with him. Walk with him in his word and in trusting him and in believing that he's a God that will help you all along the way to live that life and then ultimately to the end of that calling that we have right now to the point that he's going to take us out of this world. And we want to hear with Paul, that's why he ran so hard, well done, well done. You said yes to me. You said no to that temptation. Praise you for it in Christ's name. Everyone said